Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 297 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. So today we're talking about advocating for our kids, particularly during a crisis when decisions need to be made really quickly and you kind of have to like tap into your mom's superpowers in a pretty intense way. Um, We don't know if this is applying to anybody out there listening right now or if it will or has in the past or will in the future, but we just think it's an important thing to talk about. And Megan, this kind of came up for you a couple of months ago. So I'm I'm so glad you've had the time now to reflect on it a little bit and are going to be able to share what you what you took away from this experience. Yeah. And I also think um, that there's little elements of crisis in like all of our lives right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're all like I'm going to touch a little bit on schooling and education. That's not the main thrust of this episode or, or at least my um, my experience. But like even a lot of parents right now are dealing with little mini crises. Mm -hmm. So I think even if you're not dealing with like a big medical crisis or something like that, like there's just things that still kind of apply. Um, There are. That fight or flight and like, yeah, your responses and the systems that you're in. and And I think it's also valuable to think about this lifelong commitment we make to advocating for our children. And, you know, you hear so much in the media about like over parenting and helicopter Mm -hmm. parenting that sometimes I think we we go the opposite the opposite direction and we think we're never supposed to step in on behalf yes. of our kids and 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 I it would be a bummer to wait until a true crisis to maybe find your own middle ground or your own comfort zone in how do I advocate for my child in regular life with not just in crisis yeah. so I'm hopeful that that comes away in this episode too is the little ways that we advocate for our kids, um, even when we're not in crisis mode. So, yeah, totally agree with that, Sarah. And I will touch on that a little bit later, but there is definitely this, um, hesitancy or fear of like 
um, looking overbearing or, Mm -hmm. or, or making someone else think you don't think they're doing a good job. Like there's like all these little ways we tiptoe around stuff. And I will be the first to admit that I tend to be more hands-off and assume the the fault is always mine or Mm -hmm. like my kids um, until I snap. And then I can go like way far in the other direction and Mm -hmm. become like extreme, like a warrior basically. So (laughs) I, sometimes that's necessary and there's no, that's fine. Um, but it is worth thinking like, this isn't just something that happens when things go really, really wrong. It's just a mindset you can be in all the time. Not that you have to be the squeakiest wheel all the time, but just keeping in mind, like sometimes it's not you that dropped the ball. Um, sometimes it just is a lot of things happening at once. So, um, I will share as vaguely as I can about the situation just to protect my child's privacy. But I had one of my kids, and I'll just say it was one of the boys because that just makes it easier. I can say he, and it was not Clara. Um, one of my kids had a mental health crisis in early November that then led to um, a fairly extended hospital stay for him, two weeks for him. Um, and I was actually uh, about an hour and a half away from here for about eight days while dealing with it, kind of hands-on. And then the schooling situation that I've mentioned Mm -hmm. um, on the show a few times, the virtual schooling nightmare we were going through, just that all kind of came to a head Mm -hmm. at the same time. And I was dealing with both at once. Um, Obviously the medical health crisis took center stage, but like be having something else go wrong while you're dealing with the other thing, Mm -hmm. it's like double duty. And it definitely, it it just like added, it was fuel to the fire. And to clarify real quick, when you said you were an hour and a half away, so you were away from your home base, but you were with yes. your child in the hospital, which meant you exactly. were you were having to manage the rest of your family life from a distance. I just wanted to be from clear. You weren't yep. you weren't an hour and a half away from the child in crisis. No, nope, you were nope. both an hour and a half away from the rest of the family. Exactly. And so I was basically living my life between hotels, the hospital and Airbnbs mm-hmm. um, for eight days. And then I came home and he was he was there for another uh, week after that, but it was um, a different scenario. So, so yeah, so this was me not with my other kids, um, not at my house, not able to do things like take care of the dog Mm -hmm. or, you know, feed the cat or um, any of that stuff. So it was very much like living in this weird little bubble. Um, And, you know, both of those issues, I don't want to use the word resolved because nothing is ever really resolved, but it's, everything's okay now. Things have calmed down. Um, But for a couple of weeks there, you know, two, three weeks, things were very hairy and just dealing with that, like it takes so much mental and emotional energy and so much persistence, like just being in that battle mode Mm -hmm. for that long. Um, even if you don't look at it like a battle, even if you're looking at it, just like, this is the stuff I have to get done. You really are in that fight or flight, um, situation for, for an extended period of time. It takes a lot out of you. It does. Um, I don't know if if those listening remember our virtual retreat in early November. I know a lot of you attended, over 100 of you. But should we also connect the dots back that this was happening yes. as we were planning to host, virtually host 100 members of our community? Yes. Um, so, yeah, yeah. You, I guess it, it is good for listeners to know and for anybody to know. You just don't always know what's going on behind the scenes of anything, of yeah. people in your town, right. of your kid's teacher, of of anybody that you think, you know, you may not know the full story. So yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's, it it really was a busy week. And I think it's, first of all, a lot of the things, a lot of the reason that was able to happen was because of a lot of the things that I'll talk about later in this episode. Mm -hmm. And 
And you're so right though. Like no one would have known I'm sitting there with my smiling face and having, and actually really enjoyed, it felt truly like a retreat, Mm -hmm. but I was in the town. Like I was in an Airbnb in the town where my kid was hospitalized, which is funny because I had no way of knowing ahead of time when I booked that Airbnb, that that would be where he'd end up or that Mm -hmm. that would even be happening. It just worked out that way. Um, and it really was a very lovely little break, but like the fact that like, that's just another thing. Life does go on around you. Mm-hmm. Like, and so you still deal with stuff as it comes up. So, um, I also want to mention before we really dig in that the only other extended hospital experience I've had with one of my kids was when Clara was in the NICU for 10 days. Um, she had a seizure shortly after birth and well, we think she had a seizure, everything cleared up, but, um, she was in the NICU for a while. And then my, a few years ago, my sister was hospitalized for over a month when she had an aneurysm um, burst in her brain. And it's uncanny how similar my frustrations were in all three situations. Because on the one hand, you have this amazing skill and care from individual practitioners. And that makes you like, you feel so cared for and you feel really confident in their abilities. Mm -hmm. So that's great. But then it's mixed with this like maddening soup of the other part of the reality, which is that medical systems like government systems and school systems and all that, they're kind of, they're huge and bloated and slow. And then in the grand scheme of things, like your personal timeline does not matter. Mm. Like, and I'm not, it's not that nobody cares. It's just that they can't care too much. It's like when you go to the DMV, you know, and it's like, you know how everyone works, like they're moving so slow Uh and you're like, aren't I important enough for you to move faster? But in their world, this is this, no, in your, in their world, no, you are not that important because they're living this every single day. This is just another day for them. Um, and it makes the things that feel so urgent to you when they feel so like whatever to mm-hmm. other people, it's really tough. And, and I would get like, I, my anger response to that is mm-hmm. quick and swift and like, can be extremely like, you wouldn't think of me as a super angry person, but I can get that way when I feel like people, other people don't care about what I care about. Mm-hmm. And I, don't know how to make them. And I guess you just can't, that is the, their day job. Like that's what they do for a living. It's not the same. And, and it's not a, a slam on caregivers. Um, nurses were amazing, but that's their job. And they, if they ran at my pace all day, if they were in, if they had, if they treated everything I did for my kid with the same urgency I did, they'd be burned out in an hour right. and they'd have to quit. Right. Like it's, it would yeah. never work. It's like an emotional resource management like yes. It's yeah. preservation. Yeah. Yeah. So what it kind of ends up feeling like is like you have to fight for everything. <laughs> Sometimes it seems like the most basic of allowances or changes or them to like shake something up for you. And it can just be really exhausting. So I hope this episode, we can just talk about like what that looks like. I'm going to use the context of a medical setting. Um, But I do think, like I said, this could apply to so many situations that we find ourselves in with our kids where we know we have to step in and do something, but it's hard for all the reasons we already mentioned. We don't know what to do. We're working in an unfamiliar system. We don't want to be a troublemaker. And I get it. Um, I'm just hoping that sharing this experience will give moms some other ideas about how to apply it in big and small situations. And probably a whole heap of empathy, too, for anyone they know who has gone through something like this. And Sometimes we we are empathetic to like the general fuzzy situation, but um, mm-hmm. I know I have such after just talking to you, I have such an appreciation for just 
the mental load of getting through crisis days like like these. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, I'm I'm very grateful that you're up for sharing and um, we'll all be listening for your tips. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, so Megan, we're going to kind of let you share the wisdom that you've learned. But one of the things I think that happens in situations like this is we know that things get very emotional. They can get emergent or scary, and there are big feelings. But amidst all of that, that we know about a crisis, there are also like a lot of logistics, like papers to be signed and phone calls to make and voicemails to return. And what a strange soup when you combine like the most raw and like, I don't know, kind of like you're not in your logistical headspace because you're dealing with a very emotional situation. And yet there are so many details and logistics. So I guess, can you share what you learned about managing the flow of information um, and how that relates to the most important thing, which was advocating for your kid? Yeah, um, I, I think if I had, and as I was able to reflect on this, um, 
even just like at the end of the very first day where we dealt with two different hospital systems um, and all the moving around and, and talking to different people that you have to, um, to make that happen is the first thing I think my default is to assume that everyone else around me is the expert and has it figured out. Yeah. Like to assume that the doctors know something I don't or that they have a plan or that whatever they choose is going to be the right thing. And I think that is a mistaken assumption right from the get-go. And you, like one thing I'm really grateful that I did do was um, Jenna's sister is a nurse in a uh, high up like administration position. Um, I think she's like the vice president of the hospital now, actually. But I had Jenna text her and ask her like what the best system was because we were in a little county like a little county hospital area. We don't have like a great system here. So we knew we were going to have to go into a different system. And just having someone say, you know, don't go to this one, go to that one mm -hmm. was like one thing I got to take off my plate. And that's not necessarily what the local doctor would have said to do. Mm -hmm. So that's just like one, one thing, for example. Um, that was helpful, but it was like that times a hundred, right? Mm -hmm. So like, Every decision I made, there were more to be made. And I waited too long, I think, to be aggressive enough in some situations to make the right decision for us. Like I kind of waited to see what they thought. And mm -hmm. um, a lot of that's when you're just shell-shocked. And I remember doing the exact same thing when Claire was in the NICU, like sitting there thinking I should take charge of the situation, but it's not my situation to take charge of. And sometimes it's not, but sometimes it is, mm -hmm. you know? So like just keep that in mind. Um, along those same lines. Don't wait to, for things to resolve because it's in any system that it's this big, there's so many moving parts and things are really slow. And I've noticed this in both medical and educational systems, um, but the individual people and departments, like they stay in their lane to a degree that becomes silly. Like mm -hmm. it, to me on the outside, like because this doctor does their rounds at six o'clock in the morning nothing is going to happen between six o'clock in the morning today and tomorrow. So if I want anything to happen, I need to push for it six o'clock today mm -hmm. because by the time anything gets decided, it could be three days from now. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the length of our stay, um, in the first hospital we wound up in was waiting, just mm -hmm. waiting for something to happen. And I waited, I could have, I'm not saying I did anything wrong. I have like a ton. I'm giving myself a ton of credit just for holding it together. But by like the middle of the week, I realized, oh man, if I had been more aggressive, um, assertive, like on day one, we'd probably be in a different spot now. Right. So I think waiting for other people to see what you see is, it's just unlikely that that's going to happen. It's like everyone there has their little piece of the pie, mm -hmm. but they don't see the whole pie. And the way I started to see it was like, as his advocate, it was on me to put the pie together. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Nobody else was going to do that for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it would eventually happen, but it would take forever. So that was, that's the first thing. Um, I guess that's actually two things. And then, you know, if it's a medical setting, just get used to being asked the same thing over and over or to be given a piece of information slightly differently, depending on who's telling it to you. And you're going to run into so many people. Like you're going to have different nurses every day, different people walking in and out people. You don't even know what they're there for. They just, <laughs> they walk in and say something and then they go. Um, but there's not always going to be a lot of communication between those people. So yeah. like the minute you're in a hospital system, you're probably going to have a social worker that's going to be assigned to you. And it's kind of their job to coordinate care. 
But the person that happens to be taking care of your child isn't necessarily talking to that person Mm -hmm. regularly. Um, And if there's questions, they're not necessarily like if, if I asked a question and I felt like it was resolved to my satisfaction, that didn't always get like noted somewhere. Right. So then the next time um, I was in that situation again, it's like I'd have to have it all over again. So I think and this it's funny that I was thinking about this as it related to Clara being in the NICU. Um, that you just never know who's that one person, like that one sympathetic nurse or, or teacher or counselor in a different situation or a social worker who kind of hears your voice ratchet up mm-hmm. in just such a way or kind of knows you're about to lose it or they're just more sympathetic or they're more patient or they care. Or like, it doesn't even matter why, but like there's that one person. And unless you talk to literally everyone that you make contact with, you don't know who that person might be. And right. um, with Clara, I remember her because she was hooked up to some different stuff because they were always checking her brain and stuff like that. And I didn't get to hold her for two days when she was in the hospital. And I finally just fell apart. And this nurse was like, Oh, you could have held her this whole time. But I, it's like the other nurses, it just wasn't what they did. Like they just didn't do that. Like that wasn't their routine. Their routine Mm -hmm. was to make sure all the things were beeping the way they were supposed to be. And that she was medically okay. And I, no one saw that there was this mom there who just, you know, desperately wanted to hold this baby and like having like a much older child, um, in the situation, it, it's not the same. Like I didn't need to hold him (laughs) and he was awake and talking to me and stuff like that, but it was just like, help me help myself here. Right. And like it, it sometimes takes that one person. I would advocate that if you have, or I would just say, if you have a patient advocate, almost every hospital has them call them early. If anything goes wrong, just call them because Mm -hmm. that's what they're there for. And they can also help you put that pie together. Like if, if there's like, um, a social worker who's supposed to be doing something and then maybe there's someone in the financial office who's supposed to be doing something else. And maybe the nurse is, is unclear about the orders or something like you need sometimes someone to be on your side. So the patient advocate or liaison, at least in this hospital system is a different person than the social worker. And mm-hmm. I think that's pretty typical. Um, and they're, that's what they're there for. And, and the, the sort of like analogy, if it's a school uh, setting or other is like, you CC every single person on that email. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but like the more people there are to involve in a conversation, just involve them. And then look outside of whatever system you're in and reach out to people in your circle and beyond um, who have more knowledge than you. So at one point, I mean, I had dozens of text threads going um, with everybody from like a fellow mom I know who's a psychologist to a friend from high school who's a therapist. Um, another good friend of mine actually had been in the same facility as my son ended up in. So everyone had like a lim- their limited view, like they saw their piece of the pie. But then based on what they knew, I was able to kind of piece together a fuller story mm-hmm. about what was going on and what needed to happen next. And you might not even know who those people are. So um, we're going to talk a little bit later about like the emotional side of this and like letting people in. But I am an advocate for like, tell everyone and tell them soon because mm-hmm. the more people know, the more people can help you. And the more it like takes away the weirdness of having to explain it later, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, sorry, I missed that zoom happy hour. Oh, by the way, did you know a month ago this happened? Like yeah. I just get it out of the way yeah. when like, when it's, when it's urgent and like crisis, because then people could say, Oh, I like, I didn't even know, for example, that this um, mom of my son's friend was a psychiatrist or psychologist. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Um, I knew she had worked in a therapy setting, but I did not realize that was her specialty. So the, 
just like those little things you might not know unless you are out there. Yeah. I want to jump in with one observation that I've had as you were talking, and that is that as women, um, we are often taught or, or absorb the story that, you know, we're, we're, we don't want to bother people. We don't want to intrude. We don't want to lay our burdens upon people, or we don't want to be the squeaky wheel like you talked about. And I, I feel like one of the gifts you're giving people as they listen is that this is the time to radically set aside those preconceived notions about what your, what your communication role is. Um, I was thinking before you got into talking about the friends in your circle, I was thinking about the patient advocate at the hospital and how when we send an email, we can be very tentative and apologetic and thank you so much for your time. And I'm sorry to bother you. Could you answer this one more time? Yes. And just remember that those people, if they've chosen that line of work, they've seen every possible communication style, yes. including people <laughs> who don't speak the language natively, who don't know how to use the technology like you you are enough. What, however you're coming to this, whether you're angry or you're confused or you need clarification, like they've seen it all. They've seen people lose their, yes. you know, at their, at their very most raw. And if you, if you're grumpy, if you're snippy via email, or if you ask the same question twice, they've seen that too. So just yes. sort of like radically setting aside the expectation that you need to communicate in the quote unquote right way or politely, um, seems like it would be a huge burden off right away. Like you're not a yeller, yeah. but today you yelled. Okay. Who cares? Yeah. Move yeah. on. Yeah. You're so right. You're, you're so right. And I think that, 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 that feeling like we have to apologize for showing emotion to people whose jobs are to deal with people in crisis who are dealing yeah. with emotion in crisis. Right. So you're right. That is like, it's expected. Yeah. And I'm sure no matter what anyone listening to this show would have to like dish out it is not the worst. It's not the worst. Right. It's seen, not the worst they've you know? seen. It's like <laughs> right, when your kid exactly. melts down in Target, like everybody's seen it. We've yep. seen it. It's not it's exactly very yep. likely not the worst tantrum they've ever seen. And if it is, yep. you get a prize. You should feel good about yep. that, too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, well, one more logistical thing. And this is something that did not occur to me until I was sitting trying to eat my lunch and flipping through my phone, trying to return a call. Like I saw a call come through and I knew or I saw that it had come through. Um, and it was like a a number from this area code and prefix. So I knew it was probably the hospital, but I had no idea who it was. And I had, I had voicemails and call threads going with like six different phone numbers. Wow. And they all looked like the same kind of, they were all just the last four digits were different. And so I would just recommend write everything down, have a notebook where you write down the name of the person you spoke to, what they told you Mm -hmm. they were going to do for you, who they said they were going to talk to, Um, sometimes you might have to ask them to repeat everything again. Like you just said, that is okay. Like, don't expect that you're going to just absorb it all because at some point, if it's an extended thing or if it's complicated, you will lose track. And it's really frustrating. It like, it gets that fight or flight going when you have to call somebody, but you can't remember how to get in touch with them. And you have to go through all your voicemails and find their name. Also listen listen to the automated menu, like press one, press four. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, that's the other thing I was going to say is a lot of times, um, the number that the call's coming from is not the number you would return the call to. Mm-hmm. So ask everyone for their direct line and put, write it down with their name and all the information from that call. Because it, yes, going back through a phone tree when you're just trying to make something happen quickly or when you can't use your phone in the child's room and you have oh. to step out in the hall and you're stepping out in the hall trying to find the number. Um, and in this case, I'm wearing a mask. It was just like, that was a lot of, 
I, I could have been more organized that from um, right from the get go about that. And that just would have saved me some it would have saved me a lot of headaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess my last and this is kind of emotional. Uh, this is kind of emotional as well as logistical. But I feel like it fits more logistically is that to get mad when it's warranted, like everyone's doing their best. But sometimes like these systems are understaffed. Um, they're sometimes their policies just don't make sense or they don't apply to your kid. Like maybe I get why like the the policy is the way it is, but like we're just kind of waiting around for something to happen. Can this get changed? And if you just kind of go with the flow and you're always too nice, sometimes you just can't make things happen that needed to happen. <laughs> and I think I kind of like got, I, I jokingly wrote scared. I don't think I scared anyone, but I think that when I got real mad, um, it got people's attention because mm-hmm. when I get really mad, I actually get very quiet and very, I talk very slowly and, and I get really, really snarky. Um, I'm not proud of that, but that's when, like when I started to take a certain tone and I, and like the young, you know, aides and their, their voices started to slow down and they started to talk to me like the person who's about to lose my mind, you know, that, that <laughs> tone, that's when stuff started to happen. Like people started to take me seriously. Um, I think sometimes, especially if you're in a hospital system and your kid is not particularly um, urgently ill. Yeah. So like everything's going okay. You kind of become background noise mm-hmm. and you're not really prioritized and that's fine. Like there are people, you know, there's like codes being called and people crashing and like really, really bad things happening. And you're glad you're not part of that. You're so grateful. You're not part of that, that you just kind of think, well, this will all work out. But at some point people will get kind of complacent if you don't remind them that you are not to be toyed with. Right. And like the fact that, you know, that nurse sitting there that might be the first time she saw your kid. She doesn't realize you've been sitting there for five days. Right. Like to her, this is just a shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the first time, you know, it's, it's like, you have to kind of remind people sometimes that like, no, this is an ongoing situation. This needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And it really was when I channeled that mom rage that I was able to make some stuff happen. Yeah. I, I, I love that. And I also hope you're never mad at me like that. Cause I'll be really scared if you get quiet with me. Oh, oh boy. I don't think you could make me that mad. I, I don't actually think any individual humans make me mad like that. It's It's, a system. It's systems that don't work the way that I think they should. That makes me rate like ragey. Well, Um, I think you full, full pass. I mean, I made a joke, but full pass to, to channel that mom rage and full, like, yeah, full pass for anyone out there who's you know, saw a side of themselves they didn't expect to see when advocating for your kid. I would think that yeah. each time this happens, we learn a little bit and maybe maybe there's growth over time. But for sure, I don't want anyone feeling bad that they lost their you know what at somebody right. or at a system because that's part of that's part of this. We're human. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. 
and the Willa slip-on flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa slip-on flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, Megan. So let's talk about the emotional side of uh, this for you when you were advocating for one of your kids and you were dealing with all of the phone numbers and the extensions and the logistics. Um, but you were also a human during that time. Um, you also had, you know, four other children and a job. And I think there might have been a presidential election during that time. Some, oh, my gosh. Actually, <laughs> literally, I did not vote because it all happened like on Election Day. Yeah. Yeah. Of all the reasons I would have thought early voting would be a good idea. That was not one of them. And so, I mean, the nice thing was I got to just tune it out, which actually kind of was nice. Right. That's, like, that's a self-preservation yes. of its own strategy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about, I guess, stress management, self-care. And like, you know, on this show, we talk a lot about knowing yourself and knowing, you know, knowing how to take care of yourself. So what are some of those th- things that emerged for you during this crisis mode? Well, I know you mentioned like being the mom in charge and that's your superpower. Um, And I just want to say, like, just to kind of set the stage, it is so normal not to have what you think feels like a normal stress or grief response Mm. um, when something bad happens to one of your kids. Like when your job is to get things done, you can really compartmentalize, at least I can. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's more normal than people think. And they think that they should be more emotional than they are um, or more like sad than they are. And it really, for me, I was, I was more numb, not numb exactly, but just like more like, what do I do? Like, what's the next thing to do? Um, and you can be so focused on business that you just don't have time for the rest of that. And I do think it's interesting. So the friend I mentioned who, um, had actually been in the same facility and like has struggled with mental health issues. She and I talked a lot that week and she mentioned that I have always reminded her of her mom which I was like, oh, awesome. Cause her mom totally kicks butt and I really love her mom. And she's, you know, maybe my friend is 10 years younger than me. And I think her mom is maybe, maybe 10 years older mm-hmm. than me, um, 10, 20 years older than me. So anyway, she shared that when 
she has been struggling the most. She's actually had to remind her mom to be more emotive or to seem more nurturing in the moment um, because she needs her mom to be that advocate, that advocating person and that butt kicker always, right? But she also just needs her mom. And that mm. was really eye-opening for me because um, I can be hyper-nurturing when things are going well, but when things kind of fall apart, I can shelve it to where I'm almost cold. And mm-hmm. I've seen myself do that. And like, I know it gets things, sometimes that that's what you need and it helps get things done. But like giving a hug doesn't always occur to me mm-hmm. when I'm in like, how do I throw my body between you and like the oncoming car? Yes. Like when it's that feeling, yes, I, it doesn't occur to me to turn around and hug the kid. Like it's just, I'm not there. And so relational, while it's helpful to be able to comp- um, compartmentalize, and it can help you get things done. It's useful in those short bursts, but it's not always relationally helpful. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that this kid and I had a lot of time together just hanging around the hospital, playing board games and stuff because it allowed me to kind of get out of that headspace mm-hmm. and get back in the heart spaces, which is where I tend to live most of the time. Right. So like being in that headspace is weird. It's like, a, like, it's, it's like an out-of-body experience is the only way that I can yeah. really describe it. Um, the emotional stress of all this stuff when you are like not feeling it, not allowing yourself to feel it or just powering through, it will come out at some point, mm-hmm. possibly in unexpected ways, very likely aimed at the wrong people. <laughs> I'm very sorry to my special man friend. Like I just, there's, when you feel safe lashing out, you sometimes will do that. And it's just something to be aware of. Like, I mean, not, you can't fix it and you can't prevent it. It's just, if you feel like you're not acting like yourself, it's because you're probably really not being yourself. Or, and, or it may come out physically. As someone who experiences yep. stress with physical symptoms, the, the older I get and the wiser I get, um, that's also should be no surprise if, you know, if channeling or managing so much intensity comes out later in, you know, yes. physiological ways in your body. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, my next um, thing I was going to just touch on is totally ties in with that. And that is just to take care of yourself in whatever way you need. So is that watching a sad movie so that you can get emotions flowing Mm -hmm. again if if they feel stopped up? Is it sleeping in? I mean, I slept in, slept in a lot. (laughs) And, you know, I would be, you know, sleeping in weird positions sometimes in hospital chairs and things. But when I had a chance to go like sleep in a bed, I made the most of that. Um, Work in time for things that, are pleasurable to you, like reading or yoga or whatever it is you do. I actually spent a lot of time wandering around the hospital cafeteria. They, those places have become magical. Like, I mean, hospital cafeterias have come a long way in the last 10 (laughs) or 20 years and they have everything. And so I would just wander around and choose like my yummy treats and like foods I can't, you know, make myself in my house or I wouldn't. I kind of chose to look at that as a little like getaway Mm -hmm. Um, and just found little ways to get a break. You, you know, if, unless there's something you are like urgently needed for at all minute at all times, um, you, you probably shouldn't just stay in the hospital room. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost like we tell ourselves where there should be no moment of enjoyment, physical pleasure or enjoyment, because like I'm on a mission to advocate for this kid. I remember you texting me at one point, I think you were having a steak salad and a margarita or something. (laughs) Like that is, that's the, that's the emblem of actually great self-care is amidst all this chaos and hurt. There is no law against a steak salad and a margarita or, or a nap 
or or a, yeah. like a juicy novel or something. In fact, those things may power you for the long haul. And I think that sometimes it's hard if you're if your child is suffering or struggling, you feel like you need to kind of like sit on that hard chair and suffer and struggle yes. alongside. And, yes. you know, that can happen. I mean, and that's great. It's great to be in the trenches like that. But you're not required if you were required to do that every time someone you loved was struggling, you would literally never not like mm-hmm. you. There's always someone whose feelings who you can come up against, like alongside and feel what they're feeling. And that's great to be able to do, but you got to put some barriers around it. Um, and that, you know, I had to keep reminding myself like this is his job right now, or his journey is to be in this hospital bed as a patient. I am not a patient. Mm-hmm. Like I can come and go. Um, I need to. And Mm -hmm. that was hard at first, Um, especially just going to logistically back to the fact that sometimes it would feel like a call at any moment might come in and Mm -hmm. I need to be there. And I had to kind of talk myself out of that, too, because that's actually not very true. (laughs) It's anything that comes like stuff is just so slow that, you know, and I wasn't going to be there around the clock 24 seven anyway. So no one was waiting around on your call. That's for sure. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, another tip that is kind of logistical, but also I think helps with the emotional stuff is to, if you can, and this totally depends on the dynamic, um, in your family or with your co-parent is to just divide and conquer as much as you can. So, um, one thing that John and I are always good at, uh, together is in a crisis situation. And I think a lot of that is because we, I think because our twenties were basically one long crisis situation, (laughs) just we said like, one kid after the next. And it was always very hectic. We moved a lot. And so we kind of, we know how to do that. Um, and typically the way it works is that I keep the big picture stuff rolling. Like I'm making the phone calls, I'm keeping track of the phone numbers and making those decisions. And he kind of goes micro and keeps life normal for the other kids. Mm -hmm. Um, and then does whatever I ask. Like if I'm like, I just can't make this call. Can you do this? Or can you set up this appointment or whatever? Like he's like great at that. And like, just keeping that, um, the home fire is burning, I mm-hmm. guess, even though we don't live in the same home, it's, it still feels that way. And, and I will say like, just knowing that my kids, my other kids' lives were kind of plugging along normally and peacefully, even if I wasn't present for them was just huge because I really needed to put that part of my life on hold. There was no way for me to straddle those roles. Right. And I guess I would say like, if you don't have a co-parent or partner that you can have that dynamic with, see if there's someone else who you can enlist to do that. Maybe it's a a grandparent, maybe it's your sister, maybe it's a really close friend. I know this is all complicated by COVID times, but I also think that this is one of those things. If it's, if it's a big enough crisis, like people will find ways to make it work. Yes. And, and if people can just step in and take over the day to day and you really truly don't have to worry about it, like at no point did I ever feel obligated to call and talk to my kids or help them with their schoolwork from afar or whatever it was. I just didn't have to do that. Um, it made everything manageable. Okay. More manageable, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then along those same lines, as when I said before, just to talk to everybody and tell everybody, like, just remember that telling people what's going on with you gives them the opportunity to help you, yeah, which is a blessing to them as well as to you. It yes. really is. People really like to be able to help out. Um, so I was gone for eight days and I had people stop by to take care of my pets or 
offer to help my kids keep up with their schoolwork. My yard work was completely done. My pool got winterized. Um, people dropped off food. People chipped in to help me make a big purchase for my kid when he came home that I thought might make the transition easier. And just like knowing that I didn't have to deal, first of all, with that pool, <laughs> when I got back and like by that point, it was truly cold. Um, that was huge. But like all those little things, like just accepting the help was a relief. Just know, like knowing it was offered is a little awkward, but then accepting it, there's like this like, oh, like you can just breathe and go, okay, yeah. that's off my plate. I don't have to worry about that. And it feels, it actually does feel really good. It's hard sometimes to ask for what you don't know you need. And then it's hard sometimes to like actually reach the hand out and take it. But once you do, I feel like it's just a, it's this really nice energy exchange. <laughs> that's yeah. the only way I can put it, but it feels good. Yeah. So. And, and friendships, relationships are not the same after things like that happen after yeah. we've walked each other through something or taking care of somebody's kid when their baby was in the NICU, like the, those relationships are changed. And I would argue most of the time for the better, you're at a different, yep. a different level with those people. Um, and we don't always have the, we, we can't manufacture that. Um, but right. it, it is, yeah, I love that. I really love that. I think. Well, and, and one thing I would add to that too, um, is that there's also like a self-preservation that comes in there that I think is okay. in that people might offer to help you and you don't want their help mm -hmm. because taking help from that particular person either would be too complicated. Like they don't have anything to offer that you need. And that's like, that sounds really cavalier. And I don't mean it that way, but like if what's being offered isn't going to actually help you, mm -hmm. please let go of obligation to accept. Like that's sure. the other, that's yeah. the other side of that coin. It's not that their, their very well-intentioned offer is amazing. And you can feel good that that person wanted to offer that to you. But don't feel like it's your job in that moment to coordinate the like the offers coming in. Right. Um, you could put a friend in charge of that. And mm -hmm. I had like two friends who kind of just like organized everything. And then when, you know, in groups, like people are trying to organize a purchase and things kind of get out of control. And that those people were like, nope, let's simplify this. I'm the point person for Megan. I'm going to communicate everything to her. Mm -hmm. Like, here's what we're going to do. And then all I had to do was hear her say those words. And I'm like, oh, OK, I guess it's yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, okay. So most of what we've talked about so far has been in the context of a medical setting and system. Although you've done a great job, I think of helping us see that really this can carry through other systems as, as well. But one thing I was thinking of is like, you're through the most intense place of the crisis, but then there's the ripple effect of, mm -hmm. you know, you might have your, your home life. Let's just say it was a medical issue your home life, your transition home might be different. The crisis may have caused changes in daily routines or mm -hmm. schooling. Um, there might be like ongoing therapies or appointments to set up. Um, you, you have other people in your family you haven't seen in your case for eight days or, you know, anybody yeah. who's had a long NICU stay kind of knows like, okay, the goal is to get out of the NICU and get home, but it's then not what? like, <laughs> but it's not like flipping a yeah. switch. There's a lot of ripple effects. So I guess right. maybe you can talk about like what you learned in the, the post intense phase and, and how you continued this feeling of advocating for your kid, but now through the ripple systems, like the other things yes. that had to happen. And I'm sure this is still ongoing for you. Yeah, it is. I mean, when I say things are calm, it's because November and December were all about like basically just resetting. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, I, I guess the first thing I would say, um, is do not expect 
things to just get back to normal Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, in your life, in your work with your kid, like all of those things are going to take time to work out. And sometimes that sometimes you can like ride that feeling that you're in when things are really chaotic or really crisis that like superhuman power you tap into. You can almost ride that to make some other big changes like that energy that will help set you up. And and this is a great place to talk about what ended up happening with school, because I really don't think had this medical crisis not happened, I don't think I would have pulled together the focused rage needed (laughs) to make the school situation better. It's like they had to happen together. Um, So basically what had happened was like my kids were in that virtual program and in our district, it was a third party virtual program. So um, a third party platform. My kids did not have um, any of their own teachers. Like these were all like teachers, not in our district. Right. And it was awful, like just terrible. I, I mean, it was just so bad. Like the kids weren't actually getting any class. There was no live teaching happening, happening at all, at all. Um, it was very chaotic. They kept moving the kids around. They found out a lot of the classes they were in were incorrect. They were like high school level for middle schoolers mm-hmm. or the wrong section. And so they got changed several times. The platform grading system was really hard to keep up with. So I knew all that stuff all along. And I think I just kind of assumed like maybe I was the problem. Like maybe I just wasn't right. organized enough or maybe, and I know we're going to get into this more um, next week. We've got another episode coming up about schooling, but like I just kind of kept thinking, certainly it must be something I'm not doing right. And, yeah. And I think you were also, yeah. <laughs> if I can jump in, cause I, you yeah, know, I was, ahead. I was paying attention along with you and, and many of our listeners were navigating virtual school. There's, we've been told to give so much grace to the schools and the teachers as they figure this out and have patience because schools are having to reinvent themselves. Like with no notice. And you and I are both, I mean, I think we're pretty big grace givers. Like we like to give as a default, we like to give the benefit of the doubt. And so I can see how there's like, there's something being a hot mess because it's new and it's a pandemic. And then what I observed from what you talked about was a lack of accountability and a lack of anybody trying or, or making steps to make anything better. And that's different because I've been in some frustrating school situations with COVID Um, but I've always seen like a, a gradual progress. The arc, the arc was bending toward slightly like slight improvement. And it felt like yours was not improving. If anything, it was was finger pointing and like a A uh, lot of blame shifting, a lot of that. And I have to just, I mean, I'm just going to be really honest. I'm extremely disappointed in my district. I don't think, I don't think what's been allowed to happen would ever happen to the kids who were in person. And I just feel like they've been kind of like the virtual kids have been sort of like brushed aside. So mm-hmm. all this is going on. And if you had committed to the virtual program before school started, before the school year started, um, you were, you were in, there was no, you weren't supposed to be allowed to move. They did allow a flurry of people to move at the beginning, which I didn't know, but then they shut that down. So I emailed, um, the school counselors, I think it was just the counselors at first and just said, Hey, here's what's going on in my family. We really need help. Like like I'm, my kids are behind. I don't know what's going on. Like the system is a mess. They're not, they're not thriving right now. I don't have, and I don't have the ability to help them right now. I'm not even in the same, you know, area as them. And I'm a working mom. Their dad's a working dad, like help us. Right. And got turned down. Like they said, basically no. And so, uh, around the same time I had started a Facebook group four other virtual parents just to see what was going on. And I was kind of just watching how unhappy people were 
and then was told that I was not able to move my kids into face-to-face school. And I like lost my mind (laughs) and went into that very controlled, focused anger and wrote an extremely strongly worded email, basically kind of threatening legal action. I mean, at this point, I was kind of like, I don't think you can even legally keep my kids out of school. Like, I I don't think that's actually possible. Um, But there was a lot more that I said. Mm -hmm. I just kind of lambasted everybody. And I sent it to everyone. I sent it to the superintendent, the assistant superintendent, the head of the virtual program, the principals of both the schools, the counselors at both the schools and the entire school board. And (laughs) I got a meeting. This is your Aaron Brockovich moment. (laughs) It really was. And I got a meeting and they allowed the transfer. Um, I think they just didn't want to deal with me, but that's okay. Sometimes when they don't want to deal with you, that's a good place to be because you're going to get what you want. And honestly, just having my kids back with like, like relationships with their teachers and knowing someone else was there to see if they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Like that relief was so incredibly intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I had to go to the point of like no return. Like I had to get to the point where I was willing to throw everyone under the bus publicly, like write an op-ed, um, <laughs> and which I still might, cause it hasn't really gotten that much better. And I know we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about education in, in a future episode, but like I just, I allowed, I allowed myself to tap into that anger and make two things happen at the same time, which actually felt really good. And then after that, it was like, okay, now what do I have to do? And it was literally the day that I had that meeting. They said, you know, the kids are back in. I cried when I got home because I was just so relieved. And like, that was great. Like I kind of released something. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I can't worry about that anymore. So like, that's done. Mm-hmm. And now I just need to go and like, we're coming into the holidays mm-hmm. and now I just need to figure out this slow transition back to real life, which is going to mean a lot of attention paid to the, um, the child who needs, who needs it. And as much as I can give the others and as much taking care of myself as, as I can. And so it's still emerging. Like there were still tons of phone calls I had to make. Um, there was a lot of stuff we ended up having to do on our business end to get me in a position, um, to get better insurance so that I would have more options this year in 2021. And all that was like a flurry of activity, but it was kind of, it was just step-by-step like Mm -hmm. one thing, one thing at a time, one thing, one thing at at, like line up the pins and knock them down one after the other. And just to kind of close, um, because this is ongoing and I, you know, I don't want to share too much because I don't, because of privacy and also just because I don't really know what I would even share at this point. Um, the medical stuff does seem to be, resolving, like it's manageable. Everything is very calm. Um, so I'm looking at this as a chapter of our lives that we're going to move on from and like be stronger for it. And that's all great. Um, but on the school side, I have to say, I'm still in that Facebook group with the virtual parents. I never left the group cause I wanted to main, I wanted to hang on to a little bit of that, like warrior feeling because I, one of the worst things that I felt when I was in that meeting and the superintendent is telling me, I can get my kids back into school, but it was like, but what about the other, what about the other kids? Right. Like, I was like, I don't want to be taken out of the, like out of the conversation now because I've really tapped into something here. Um, and it's in the families are still being totally let down. It has not gotten better. If anything, it's gotten worse. And so now I feel myself like when I'm ready, I want to gear back up and yeah. to get back into that place. And I know you and I are going to talk, uh, is it a week from today? Yeah. Next week. Yeah. 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 Next week, we're going to have a whole conversation about the state of schooling right now and the decisions we're making. And some of that is going to be 
aimed at people who feel really lost. And I think I just want to say like, none of this is any parent's fault. Like it's, it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean it's teacher's fault either or school district's fault. But if you feel like your kids are falling behind, like this wasn't supposed to be your job. (laughs) And I just, you know, it's yeah. Yes. No, I'm, I think that was a great place to, to leave us and kind of tee up next week's conversation. But I want to go before we tease that, I want to go back to one thing you said about, um, copying everybody relevant on an email and the, and the big email that you did send, which I read, which I got to read. Um, I I think there's a big difference. You, you called it focused rage. And Mm -hmm. I I love that because I think most moms can relate to that. There's like tired at the end of the day. And like, you're, you know, you yell at your kids, like there's a different kind of mom rage that comes out. That's very chaotic and like kind of embarrassing. And then (laughs) like, like, you know, a meltdown. Um, But then there is this focused rage when it comes to the mama bear instinct, if you want to call it, or advocate advocating for our kids. And, you know, you and I have the benefit of also being professional writers and professional communicators. So I think we get almost an additional level of satisfaction out of focusing um, injustice or something that is has mm-hmm. is not right and putting that into words. And it's very different than firing off just like a, a not thought out angry email or a snarky or talking about it behind someone's back. And like, there's, I think there's words are powerful and the way we communicate is powerful. And I just want to mostly pat you on the back for doing that. And I think you're, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think your experience in, in copying all of the relevant players was not just to throw anybody under the bus or to embarrass anybody. But if I remember you got responses from people who said, I had no idea it was this bad. Or I had no idea that this had gone on so long. And so again, I think this is, this is the, the next level version of what I said in the first half, which is we want to be fair. We want to be polite. We want to give others the benefit of the doubt, but at a certain point you can be very effective by focusing that rage by copying Mm -hmm. everyone and their boss. There's you don't send those yep. emails every day. None of you listening do. No. We know that because we know you. And none of us is the type of person who does this very often. But also don't apologize for needing to do it, you know, a few times in your kid's lifetime, because that might be the yeah. email that makes the difference for your family. So I'm just I'm, I'm yeah. kind of like high fiving you a little bit. It was a it was a well written, well researched piece of writing. And it was, um, it's very different than I think what we think of when like, Ooh, did you hear about the email? So-and-so sent and copied the principal. It's like, no, this (laughs) this is well, yes, yes. And, and also just to, to piggyback on that, um, because I think you're totally right there, there, there comes a time in each of our lives when it's warranted. (laughs) And because you start to see that people, you can start to see when certain players at certain levels have a different, like, version of reality than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes clear that not everyone is reading off the same page. Right. And that's when like, you kind of have to do that. And I almost look at it as triaging. Um, so like, while I was, you know, in the hospital with my son, um, I was really focused on him. Like I was really just focused on how do I get him out of here basically and get the care he needs, which is not this, it's not what's happening. And that's a whole nother thing that, you know, would take too long for me to go into all my grievances and problems. But basically he kind of got stuck, not really getting any care and was just waiting. And so that was really, really frustrating. And so I wasn't in a place at that moment where I could do much beyond think about him. Mm -hmm. My whole focus was 
him. Then when I got around to writing this email and having, um, and having this meeting with the superintendent and assistant superintendent, my, in the school context, my view is much broader. I wanted things to work out for my kids, but I wanted it fixed for everybody. Yeah. And because I was going to be living in the system, like for the, like for the future, Mm -hmm. um, like this is something that will be affecting my kids and my community for ever. I want it better. Like I want Mm -hmm. it better for everyone. So my reactions were different. And I think that something that sometimes happens is we get stuck in like, how does this affect my kid? And if that's what the powers that be here too much, yeah, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't shift into like, how is this affecting all the kids Yes, or how is so this right. affecting all the families or how does this make me look bad? Like that's like it, you, like, I think sometimes moms can think a little too small for too long. And sometimes you have to, that's yeah. the triage, right? Like at first it's like my kids take care of my people, but then what's the next step after that? And like, if this fight continues with the school, what, what is my next step? Do I care enough? to continue fighting this fight, not even on behalf of my own kids anymore. And I would also say in the hospital system and mental health system, which I'm now seeing, I mean, I've heard about the cracks. I've heard about how, you know, messed up the system is now that I've experienced it firsthand. I'm in triage right now, but will I ever come to a point when I can think broader? And I, I think that those are questions worth asking yourself because I think that the real change happens when we can think a little broader. Systemically. Yeah. But we can, but even if now all you can focus on is your kid, that's totally that's fine. That's okay. Too. Like, but they that both is, have to happen. That is what made your email so well done, also, is because it wasn't just about your kids. It was about the system failure for hundreds or thousands of kids yeah. in your community. That's why it was your Aaron yeah. Brockovich moment. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for all of that and just taking, taking the time. I know for sure it is helping people in our community. And if you are in the middle of a crisis right now, um, we're just sending you love. So we have two upcoming episodes that they don't go with this necessarily, but I think they're they're like telling a larger story. So why don't you talk about your conversation on Friday with Danny? Yeah. So this Friday we have an interview with Danny Kilgore. She is a mom who has experienced, um, kind of like on the early side on extended NICU stay um, and premature labor and preeclampsia. And, you know, she's got a really compelling story, but so much of it is about advocating for yourself. Um, She's a mom of color and talks a lot about how difficult that can be in the healthcare system and how underserved um, women of color can be in maternity care and other kinds of healthcare. And she's really a strong advocate for like, getting the care you need, demanding the care you need. And I think it just dovetails really nicely with this conversation. I can't wait to listen to that. You did that interview, so I will be listening along. And then on Tuesday, so a week from today, we decided it's the time of year to talk about school choices again, because uh, February traditionally, even pre-COVID, February is a time when, you know, if you have really little kids, you might be looking at preschool options in your community all the way on up to in high school, the semester is ending and kids are, you know, onto their next semester. So January, February tends to be a time of um, it's not necessarily when you're making the final commitment and depositing those checks if you're doing private school, but it's definitely a time of school tours and lotteries and charter yeah. schools. And like you and I have been through many, many different schooling situations. I'm looking forward to this because, first of all, it's been a few years since we have just talked in general 
about making school decisions for your younger kids, as in choosing a preschool, deciding whether to Mm -hmm. redshirt a kindergartner or not. We've talked about all of that, but it's been quite a while. And then the second piece of it is we've done a lot of conversations about the challenges of schooling in COVID times. I mean, we've talked about that a lot, both personally, we've had guests on, but we're looking, we're looking ahead to 2021, 2022, which is the, the school year where people are, will be making decisions on that's going to be, I believe in a newly post COVID reality. And I don't mean every precaution will be dropped by fall 2021 by any means, but I do think for the first time in a long time, Megan, people are making schooling decisions that will last beyond COVID. Yeah. So I think it's going to be, you and I will share a lot of our experience. A lot of it will be non-COVID schooling decisions we've made, but everybody has a, has a COVID reality, which means maybe their kids yeah. are behind. Maybe a preschooler yeah. missed out on their three and four-year-old year. And now we have questions about kindergarten. So I think it's going to combine all of those things. The, the regular yeah. decisions moms always have to make about school, but with, with a, a COVID perspective, if you will, for a post-COVID yeah. reality. I don't know. That's, that's well, what's and kind all of the changes, all the changes people have made. I'm thinking of a family I know who decided to like get in a camper and like go drive around the country and homeschool yeah. their kids because their kids weren't in school anyway. Like right. they weren't in face-to-face. Um, I think there's, and you moved. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. I think a lot, so much of that has happened to disrupt everything. And Everything's been so disrupted. I was laughing because our the last time we talked about school in an episode, we had like nothing useful to say because we were it was July. We we're like, oh, yes. I don't know. Yeah. We didn't we didn't know anything. Like we and we had no idea that all these months later, this is where we'd still be. Yeah. Like we were still in that sort of, I don't know, like in that hopeful, um, dumb optimism. Well, and at that time, decisions were almost being made for us. I, I remember a lot yes. of that conversation was. Are, is my school going to be open or not? Or should I homeschool or do this virtual? It was like, I think for next year, I think people will actually have schools to enroll in. You can actually decide to go to your public school or to go to a private school. I'm not promising. I'm definitely not promising normal, but I, I do believe we're going to be moving back in that direction. And I think having a January, February ish conversation for next fall will be really interesting because a lot of these, these schools are accepting applications now or doing lotteries. It's just, yeah, there's still a ton of unknown. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's, but it feels more like we're getting back to some, whatever the new normal is actually going to be going forward. Mm -hmm. Not like the middle normal, but like the next normal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The next normal. That's really good. Um, Okay, so coming up Friday, you'll want to listen to Megan's interview with Danny. And then a week from today, we'll talk about school. And yeah, if you have feedback on this episode, I know it's kind of a big topic. We are always hello at themomhour.com. And we love to hear from you there, as well, of of course, in our Facebook group and on our Instagram. And we're, we're everywhere and we love to hear from you. So Megan, thanks again for doing this. And we will talk to everybody soon. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. 
That's Erica with a K, E R I K A dot A P P, and use code the mom hour to save 20%. Hey everyone, Sarah here. Megan and I would absolutely love it if you hit pause right now, right where you're listening, and left the mom hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, that's one of the absolute biggest ways you can thank us. And it really takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, just navigate to the Mom Hours show listing. So not the episode you're listening to right now, but the kind of landing area for our show as a whole. And then scroll down to leave a rating or review. Thank you so much.